looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, and this evening we are reading verses 1 through to 10, and our focus is going to be verses 8 through to 10. And so we're looking at the certainty of Christ's return, and this evening we are looking at God's patience. Last week we saw that God had said, and now this evening God is patient. So let me read that um, passage for us. 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm reading from verse 1 through to 10. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through the through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. The scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, Where is his coming? That he promised. Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this, Peter says. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water through water. Through these, the world at that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. All right, so that's the passage that we are having a look at this evening. So what I want you to do is have your finger in there, um, 2 Peter chapter 3, and as well as that Psalm 90, because we're going to be jumping between the two of them. All right, now, have you ever been in that situation before where you've done something wrong, and you're dreading the return of either maybe your parents or maybe your husband or your wife. Maybe you had broken a window or burnt the food or dinged the car or maybe you ran over the dog. <laughs> well, we feared their arrival and obviously all the consequences that would come along with it. Um, I remember quite a while ago when I was just a young little boy, uh, my brother, the one day, was stirring with me and really riling me up. And so I had an orange in my hand. I still remember it. It was actually a green orange, and it was big. And I was standing outside at the pool area, and he was teasing me. And so I took the orange, and I threw it at him. And he ducked. <laughs> and it went straight through the window, broke the window. And in that moment, it was just kind of like, come on, man. He's really irritated me so much, and now he's got to be into even more trouble. Because I knew that when my parents got home, obviously I was going to get a huh? broken a window. Anyway, so I dreaded my parents' return. And, and I guess maybe you had been in a situation like that, where you had done something, and you were dreading the return of either your parents or maybe even your spouse. But now when it comes to the return of our Lord Jesus, we have nothing to fear. In fact, we should have a very different attitude. Well, I hope that we do, because we should anticipate his return. We long for it because we have a great love for him, 
And also we want to be with him. We want to be with him for all eternity. And also Peter tells us is this is how we should be as believers. We should be longing for our Lord's return. We love him. You know, even if we have a look back at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses, I think it's just 3 through to 9. Um, Peter says, they blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faithful salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this. We rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice in the things that our Lord Jesus has done for us. And he carries on. So you rejoice in this, even though for now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is coming. At his revelation. And then he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the attitude of the believer now. Even though we are going through hard times, we are people of joy. People of joy. Now last Sunday evening, um, what we began to see is that these false teachers had um, infiltrated the church and how they were spreading their many false teachings and they were leading people astray. And now one of their teachings included the, well, what they presumed is that Jesus was not coming back. And so they were saying, Jesus is not coming. You know, where is this second coming? You know, he's been gone for decades. In fact, uh, was Jesus the promised Messiah at all? Because he brought no judgment with him. You know, things just keep on going on as they have been. Everything just keeps going on. Just as it has from the beginning. In fact, Jesus' non-return is, is probably proof that he is a nothing man. A nothing man. So there is no worrying, nothing to worry about. There is no coming judgment. So obviously now there is no reason not to pursue the desires of your heart. And no reason not to live a life that you want to live. And I just imagine if they are right. Then think about it. Jesus' first coming would have just been some sick, vindictive, hopeless tease. Because all of the miraculous, miraculous things that Jesus did was supposed to be an announcement of his kingdom. Not so. It was a beginning, a foretaste, just a shadow of what he is ultimately going to do when he returns again. And not only is he going to reverse all the damages of sin... He is going to make all things new. And remember, what Jesus did was real. It was, all, it was all of eyewitness account. Jesus turned the world upside down. The whole world was following after him, as the Pharisees were saying. We cannot deny that Jesus came into this world. And now, if these false teachers are right, well, then there is going to be no end to the sadness that we experience. No vengeance for all of the injustices caused by evil people. No righting all of the wrongs. No holding uh, the corrupt accountable. 
No healing of our fragile, decaying bodies. No hope. Just a world that will continue. Day after day, year after year, millennia after millennia. On and on in its sin and depravity. Its brokenness and hurt. Its injustice and its lawlessness. And what would be the point then of life? Other than to pursue selfish fulfillment. If this is all there is, then I need to find joy in whatever I can. You've got to scrape every little bit of joy that you can out of it. But we begin to see why these false teachers preach their destructive doctrines. In chapter 2, Peter describes them for us. And he tells us the kind of people that they are. What their true nature is and what the desires are of their heart. Even if we just go quickly go back, like in verses 12, 14 through to 15, and as well as 17 and through to 19. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instant instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, slander what they do not understand. And in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. These people, these, they, they delight in their deceptions. Just jumping down to verse 13. They delight in their deceptions. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people, and they have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. They have gone astray by abandoning the straight path, and have followed the path of Balaam. In verse 17, these people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them, for by uttering Boastful, empty words they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery. People who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. And so, when we have a look at these people, we see that they are really deceptive people. And now you can see why they deny the return of the Lord Jesus. Because they themselves are slaves to sin. They enjoy their sin. And they love corrupting others. To ease their guilty conscience, they love it when they're in a host of people. They follow and do what they want to do. So they seduce people with their empty promises. And they persuade them with their clever arguments and their mocking taunts. And so they are morally bankrupt. And the reason for Jesus' non-return is based on this mundane monotony of this momentary life. Their anthem goes out. There has never been a judgment and there never will be. And so tonight we are going to come back to that question that was posed by these false teachers. Where is this coming that he promised? And we're going to see how Peter defends this glaring delay of our Lord Jesus. He can't deny it, but he can't defend it. He can defend it. And so he tells them the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. In fact, the end of all things is near. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. Now, as we approach this passage, we must notice that Peter bases his argument and his reasoning on the word of God. It is his divine revelation to us. Remember, creation is general revelation. But his written word is special revelation. It is him showing us who he is. He comes and speaks to us and reveals himself to us. 
So God is not a figment of our imagination. It is Him revealing Himself to us. And so yes, Peter goes to God's word. And obviously that is because for Peter, God's word is his authority in his life. This is his authority on the matter. And verse 3 says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and by the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. And so Peter's logic is this. You know, the attack on Christ's return is an attack on the word of God. A denial of Jesus' second coming is a denial of the truth of God's word. And so God's word for the believer is their foundation for truth. It is their mainstay. It's God's special and divine revelation of absolutes. It tells us about who God is. It tells us about who we are. It also tells us about this world that we live in. Why it's so broken. But how he's going to fix it. And this is why Peter wants his hearers to return to the written word. To remember that. To remember what scripture has taught them. Go back to what you have been taught. And obviously then for them to understand that these false teachers also have this ability to brainwash themselves and as well as those around them. You repeat a lie long enough, you'll begin to believe it. You repeat a lie to other people long enough, they'll begin to believe it. As I said, you also repeat a lie to yourself and you will begin to believe it. It's okay to lie. Just a little white lie. You know, it's, a, it's all right to f- flirt within the office. It's okay. It's not hurting anybody. It's just being mischief. It's okay to be angry. But you know what? Along with all of these sinful things, and slowly and surely we give ourselves over to them and lie about it and brainwash ourselves, then soon destruction comes. Because sin always has consequences to it. And so Peter's response to these false teachers is a defense of God's patience. And what Peter does now is he gives two examples of God's patience. One from the old and one from the new. And now his main desire is to show them that even though God is slow in bringing about his judgment, it does not mean that God will never execute his judgment. He has said, and so he will. Don't think that just because God is patient that he's forgotten. He hasn't. And so God's word is relevant. God's word is powerful. And God's word will come to pass. And so our first point for this evening is God's patience in the Old Testament. And here God, uh, Peter gives us, and as well as his audience of the day, a word from the past. Verse 8 says, But do not forget one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everybody to come to repentance. Now, as Peter has stated before, the basis for the error of these false teachers and their teaching is that they have willingly forgotten the Scriptures. They have willingly forgotten about God, the Word of God. Now, Peter, however, wants his listeners to remember. Remember one of the main themes from the Old Testament. And one of the main themes from the Old Testament is God's judgment, but as well as salvation. Judgment and salvation. Now, the reference that Peter uses is from Psalm 90, which John read for us. And this is now where we're going to spend a little bit of time. 
And he quotes verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. Now his reason for using is to emphasize and to point that God sees time very different from you and from me. He's got, he's got a completely different perspective and as well as intensity towards time. Um, there's just this movie that's kind of last year. I, I found the title of it very interesting. It says, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And obviously it's one of these new agey kind of movies. I haven't watched it. But when I, I look at a title like that, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, to me that describes who our God is. And his intensity and how he's able to see time. Because he sees everything, everywhere, all the time. And he's not overwhelmed by that. God can see the broad history of mankind in a moment. The beginning from the end. And he can stretch out a day with absolute patience and care. In other words, he can see every single tiny little detail within it for every single person. Nothing escapes his heart, his mind. Nothing. And that's from people to animals. Go and read Job. It's beautiful. Nothing escapes God's gaze. And so when Peter quotes from Psalm 90, he also wants us to look at it as a whole. Because it is a beautiful psalm. He wants to draw some vital points from this passage about who our God is. And as well as his attributes and his incredible character. And one of the first things, turn there to Psalm 90. In the third part of verse 2. And he says there, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now Peter here wants to remind his audience of God's eternal character. He is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now if we had to take a million years and put it up against the scale of eternity... What would the comparison be? Maybe a speck of sand on all the beaches of the world? But you see, in fact, you can never compare a fixed time to eternity. You cannot. You cannot compare the two. And that's the point that Peter's trying to make. When you look at a thousand years through the eyes of eternity, it can seem like a day. And this is what these false teachers have forgotten, and this is what Peter's listeners need to appreciate. That although God deals with us in our time and space, God, he is outside of time. And he is not bound by his creation. You see, our lives might seem long. (laughs) You might be 80 years old. Wow. (laughs) But you get those terrible comments. You must know Noah. (laughs) 80 years might seem like a long time. But you see, in the Scope of eternity, our lifetimes are but a breath. A breath. And so it's wise for us to view our lives and our use of it in light of eternity. That's why the psalmist writes in verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. And we know what biblical wisdom is. is knowing who God is and then knowing how to live our lives for God. Making the right choices. Life is so short. We're reminded of that of all, all the time, aren't we? 
I was reminded on Wednesday, playing squash with the young guys, and how easy it is just to pull your calf, and you think that you fit. And then everybody says, are you getting old? (laughs) And that's the reality. Getting old. Time is passing by. I'm that flower. I'm fading. And what awaits me is all eternity. And where am I going to be in all eternity? Because wherever I go, it is unending. Either I'm with Christ or I am not. Do you know where you are going? Secondly, God is a creating God. Here we're looking at the first part of verse 2 of Psalm 90. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world. He brought it forth. And so Peter uses this psalm to remind us here is that God is the creator of all things. And the weakness of the false teachers is that they don't believe that the world was created by God. They don't. And obviously then they don't believe that it is for God and for His glory. And because they believe and have this type of thinking, they never believe that it's going to be uncreated. Thirdly, what we see from the psalm is that God is a judging God. Verse 3, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Return back to dust. And here Peter, the psalmist, both of them, they draw on the consequence of sin, don't they? From Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. Genesis 3. Mighty in the Lord. Not that verse, this one. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. So, yes, Peter the psalmist there, going back to Genesis chapter 3. We are made from dust and we'll return to it. Life is short. But also at the same time, both Peter and the psalmist, they also want to ensure that sure every listener that we are aware of the very personal accountability that each of us are going to face one day. We will all stand before the Lord and we'll have to give an account of our lives. And this is a reality that should sober us up. Verse 8 and 9 of Psalm 90. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath, we end our years like a sigh. But you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. But thanks be to the Lord Jesus that we have him as our defense, don't we? Because he bore all of our sin and he has given us his righteousness. But for those who have not put their faith and trust, everything will be laid bare. But here what Peter's talking about, once again, it's the very real accountability that these false teachers conveniently forget about, don't they? 
And so that's why Peter writes back in his first letter. And if you call on him as Father, God our Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, we call God Father, and he's saying, our Heavenly Father, he is the one who judges everybody impartially. If he's going to be judging everybody, if you know his character, his righteous character, and even though we are saved by grace and we being shown mercy, he's also somebody that we don't mess around with. He's our Father. And because he's our Father, he loves us and he will discipline us. And he'll draw us closer to himself when we want to be disobedient. It says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Fear the Lord. And obviously, here's the motivation. Why should we fear the Lord? Why should we honor Him? Why should we respect Him? Why should we be in awe of Him? Why? Because knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus judged on our behalf. Don't take your salvation for granted. Don't. Our God is a judging God. Fourthly, hear what um, Peter also says, that God is a saving God. That's what the Psalms are pointing to. Verse 16, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. And what we see here is that God is a covenant-keeping God. He has made promises with man, and even though people have broken their promises towards him, God will keep his promise. And what he does is he pours out his love. He withholds his wrath. He delays. He sends a savior. He shows compassion. He shows love. He shows mercy. He shows favor. But you see, there will come a time when God will fulfill his word. He will come back and he will exercise both his judgment on the wicked and those who refuse to repent. And he will also exercise his full salvation towards those who are repentant. Towards his redeemed. Also God is a moral God. What we see from Psalm 90. Verse 11. If only we knew the power of your anger. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due your name. You see those who know what kind of behavior God is going to judge. And are certain that he will judge them. Or they will have a healthy respect and fear for the Lord. And obviously they will also want to change their behavior. He says it's not that we're going to be judged for our sin. Jesus has been judged for our sin. And here, once again, we, we are saved by grace and by God's mercy. But because we are saved by God's grace and mercy, as I said, we don't take God for granted. We don't mess around. You know, why should I be entertained by the things that the Lord Jesus died for? And also when it says that we should have a healthy fear of God, you know, it's not talking about how a dog cowers in the presence of its abuser. Instead, we willingly kneel in adoration and humility and gratitude for what our God has done. And so this is why Psalm 90 is used. This is why Peter takes them back to Psalm 90. Remember who your God is. This beautiful God. That's who he was back then. This is who he is and continues to be. That God is our eternal creator. 
and he will judge us according to his moral law. And thank the Lord Jesus that we have him who stood in our place. And he will save people because of his covenant love. What a gracious God. This is what Peter and his listeners, well, not Peter, but this is what Peter's listeners were in danger of forgetting. So after Peter reminds his listeners about Psalm 90 and its rich theological truths, he follows up with an explanation. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so people were blatantly beginning to accuse God of being slow in bringing about his judgment. And now Peter tells them why. And obviously that Psalm 90 verse 3 links back to Genesis 2 and as well as Genesis chapter 3. And there it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But God did say you must not eat from the, then jumping into chapter 3, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So they obviously add on to what God had said. And what we see there is that God had told Adam and Eve that they were not allowed to eat from the tree with the warning that they would die, but they did eat. But they did not die straight away. Instead, God shows his mercy by extending the delay of their death. And showing and telling them about the plan of salvation. And this is one of the vital lessons that we must not forget. That God's intentional delay is because of his mercy. He wants people to come to him. It says instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so quickly, God's promise return in the New Testament. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And so now Peter refers now to Jesus' own words. Remember, there was the Old Testament example of God's patience, and now he uses the New Testament example, and he uses Jesus' own words. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42 through to 44. Keep watch because you, know, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And so far we've heard that God is patient, and now as Peter recalls Jesus' words, there will come a time when that patience would have run its course. And God's purposes would have been fulfilled, and then he will return. And what a shock it will be for those who are thinking that he will not return. Not only that, they will have to face one of the most terrifying events to happen to the universe and then stand in judgment before God. And so Peter argues for his case, for Jesus' return in four stages. First he says that the heavens will disappear with a roar. The second part of verse 10, and that word that is used for roar is roar. Is usually used to describe a roaring river as it rushes over rocks or, or a, a roaring campfire. And it is this roaring, this terrifying moment that God will cause the heavens to disappear. And Peter wants his listeners to understand that God is going to judge and he is going to remold everything. 
It will happen. But it also says that the elements will be destroyed by fire. And that word that is used for element refers to numbers in a series and as well as letters in an alphabet or anything that forms part of the universe. The elements. And here the message that Peter is trying to get across about the day of the Lord is that it's going to be a, a day of universal upheaval. Everything is going to be destroyed by fire. And Peter also says that the earth will be laid bare. And so if the entire universe is going to be destroyed, then it's also not surprising that earth is also going to face that same destruction. And the main point here that Peter is making here is that there is going to be no place to hide. You cannot hide. There's going to be no ark to save mankind. There's going to be no rocket to space to fight off the coming destruction. And no bunkers deep enough to hide it. Everything is going to be laid bare. Everything that God has made and done, and everything that man has made and done, will be laid open in full view of God. And he will judge every work of man. And just as there will be no hiding from the physical judgment of God, there is going to be no hiding from the spiritual judgment of God. Everybody is going to be held accountable. From artists to musicians, musicians to politicians, everybody is going to have to give an account. And this is what Jesus had in mind when he describes himself as a master who returns to see what his, his servants had been up to. And let's close. Let's close. As we read Peter's words, and as he describes the day of the Lord, Christ's certain return, it can be, be a very real and terrifying picture. But Peter does not mean it to be terrifying. Maybe, yes, for unrepentant sinners. But for the believer, there is great encouragement. Because through God's all-powerful and divine ability, He is going to bring an end to this world that we live in. And He's going to bring it to an end through this cataclysmic event. But then, through His creative power, He is going to speak into existence a new heavens and a new earth. And obviously this can be very difficult for our minds to comprehend. And so Peter would warn us against using and relying on our own imagination and limiting God's creative ability. He created in the beginning. He spoke all into existence. At the end he's going to speak and everything is going to be judged. But also within it he's going to speak and he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And the question is, do you doubt God's coming and pending destruction of all things? And if so, then we are imagining a God who's too small to be our creator. Too small to be our judge and too small to be our saviour. Saviour of the universe. And so we must rely on the truth of the scriptures and we must see who our God really is. He's not a puny God. He's our creator, saviour. And so we must rely on the truth of Scripture. See who He really is. And we must not be ashamed of who He is. Especially in front of others. And also we must not be fearful of having a relationship with Him. We can boldly approach His throne. We must rejoice in who He is. And so the Bible begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. And it ends with Him creating a new heaven and a new earth. It starts with us being made... In his image, 
and ends with us being remade into His image, glorified, receiving glorified bodies like Christ's body. And so we serve an awesome God. We do. So I'll end with just two passages. Jesus Himself said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Mark 13. And then also the beautiful Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from the eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be the mourning or crying or pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. That's why we eagerly await the return of our Lord Jesus. We don't forget it. And then want to live in our sin. Instead we anticipate his return. And joyfully live out our lives for him. Knowing what he has achieved for us. And we look forward to this glorious day. He is going to make all things new. All things new. Let's pray. Thank you Lord Jesus. Please. Please. Set eternity in our the reality, Lord, that as each one of us sit here right now, we are now eternal beings. We face a never-ending future. Yeah, sure, we will die one day, but then we will face you and all eternity. And Lord, my prayer is that each person sitting here has you as their Lord and Savior, their advocate, their Savior. A lamb that was slain. Clothed in your righteousness. Thank you for bearing my burdens. Thank you for bearing my sin. Lord Jesus, help me to live out my life for you. Knowing that you are my creator, my redeemer, my salvation. I'm made by you, for you, and you hold me together. May I find all my purpose in life in and through you. And in your name we pray. Amen.